Hi nerds, welcome to QWERTY. I'm your host, Matt J. Young, a science nerd with a sense of style so bright that it'll burn the colour cones right off your retinas. <laughs> Each episode, I'm joined by one of my funny, funny, jokey-makey pals as we talk to a brand new queer nerd of honour. My co-host this episode is a dear friend who once wholeheartedly supported me wearing gold tights on stage despite the risk to her own stylistic reputations. <laughs> it's chemically active performer, Belle Taylor. Hi, <laughs> oh, chemically active. I adore it. <laughs> Hi, Belle. How's it going? Great. Thank you for having me. Good. So give yourself a little quick intro. Tell the people who you are, why you're here. All right. Okay. I am Belle Taylor. And as Matt said, I am chemically active. Um, which I will use now on all subsequent introductions. I am a chemist by training. I did a PhD on electrochemistry in flame plasma, during which I would put methane in a flame and try to measure it burning. Um, so a PhD in fire, which is yeah. pretty pretty sick. Uh, the only reason I did it was so I could be a doctor of fire at the end of it, and then I didn't submit the thesis. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you do? Wasted time. Um, currently, I work for an AI cancer biotech startup, which is lots of fancy words that have nothing to do with chemistry. And sometimes I do science-y comedy as well, mainly as part of a gig I host with both of our friends, Charlotte, <laughs> called Our Disgusting Planet. So that is me in a nutshell. Wonderful. So today we're both here to talk to another wonderful queer note of honour, um, the exalted queer note of honour for this episode, <laughs> uh, could serenade you and your computer with his multitude of talents. It's Ashley Mercer. Hi, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome, welcome. So, like we get all our guests to do at the very start, you know, tell us who you are, how you identify, what you do, uh, what's your favourite colour. Sure. So, my name's Ashley. Uh, I am a cisgendered gay man um, living in London, and I've been here since university. Um, I started out, I studied physics at King's College London, did a, a master's degree in x-ray physics and digital imaging I think it was Ooh. officially um, it essentially evolved playing around with MATLAB for about six months and then going and doing some other stuff sounds gross but okay. uh, <laughs> yeah it was fun um, then I went to work in the city for a number of years uh, being gross, a corporate slave okay. <laughs> it was it was fun I enjoyed it um, because one of my nerdy things is that I actually quite like programming I quite like mm -hmm. problem solving um, and then after a few years decided to have a bit of a change so I went back to completely mix it up and studied singing uh went back to music college for a couple of years ended up where i am now which is i split my time roughly 50 50 between being a freelance programmer and also being a freelance singer mostly opera sort of classical type stuff but you know if it pays the bills i'll do almost anything apart from possibly like grime and rap i think i'd be terrible <laughs> at that have you tried grime and rap though? i mean i have to say i haven't I think there are certain things that just don't even need to be tried. I think we could just we could just take Amen. it as read that that's not a good idea. You can tell you're a singer because you have excellent posture. Uh, yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. We've got myself and Belle here slouching over the mics while Ashley is sort of like bolt upright and he looks comfortable doing it. I'm just like, make sure I sit on my sit Hips forward, sit yeah, forward. Yeah, and I've got the muscles in my back spasming me like, hold his head up. Well, we've got an hour to go, so we'll see how you do. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And I want to start off talking about, we're talking about the more serious things. We'll sure. talk about the, the, the all sort of like nerd professionalism. Yeah. So you work for a, 
a bit of a techie startup. So yes, I've been working for the last couple of years with some friends of mine. Um, as I say, I used to work in a, in a very large company in the city, uh, sort of financial data, lots of uh, num- numbers shuffling around on spreadsheets. Um, had retrained as a singer, was kind of getting on with that, and then one of my ex colleagues came to me and sort of said, "Oh, you know, we're we're thinking of putting a you know small startup together. Would you be interested?" And Initially, my thought was, oh, I, you know, I don't want to go back to the nine to five. I don't want to go back to getting onto the northern line at half past seven in the morning, okay. smelling someone's ar- armpit. You know, it's it's not fun. Um, but this was a different venture. This was a startup, so it was a small team of people. Um, also, currently, I'm the only full time programmer, which means that I've basically had free reign to design the system how I want, which is, you know, both very exciting technologically because I can pick all the sort of cool technologies that I want to learn. Um, and also feeds into my kind of megalomaniacal like <laughs> power, yeah, yeah, because I get to be in control, and and that's it's been an amazing experience. Um, I took the bold decision, I think, uh, to write the entire system in a programming language called Scala, which I don't know if Ooh, I've heard, heard of. Them. Heard of Scala? I thought okay, so when uh, we were talking on email and stuff, and you had said something about Scala, I genuinely thought that was like a music band. I'm pretty sure I saw them on like a Britain's Got Talent thing with Viet, like they were like yeah. the string quartet. That's a that's a band, right? Scala. I mean, or S- yes. Scarlet? I've realised that the only reason I've heard of Scala is because I went on his Twitter. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> amazing. I've heard of them. They, I've saw, there's a meetup. In Honey, London. we do our research. That's why we know things. Yeah, yeah. So, t- so what is Scala, and why is there some? Uh, clear shade about Scala. What is Scala? So there are different approaches to programming languages, like all things. Um, And one paradigm that's been very popular over the last sort of 10 or 20 years has been what's called object-oriented programming. Um, This typically involves putting code that holds data, you know, arrays of users or arrays of, you know, genetic information or whatever it might be, together with the code, the functions that operate on that data. Um, and the idea is that you sort of silo these things off and that's all nice and neat. There's a different paradigm, uh, which is called functional programming. And functional programming has its roots much more closely in the kind of pure mathematical uh, way of thinking about things. It ultimately derives from a thing called lambda calculus, which is a very sort of formally specified mathematical theory of computation, you know, being able to prove the things that computers can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are two different approaches. Scala, to a certain extent, tries to bridge the gap between the two. So it grew out of, uh, well, it sort of grew out of a language called Java. I'm obviously glossing over the details massively here because otherwise we'll be here for Quite correct. days. We like, we like a good amount <laughs> of While I, uh, you know, Otherwise I could give you like a whole presentation on the yeah. history of programming languages. Um, and there will be a link to Ashley's course <laughs> in the description of this podcast. I'm available to lecture for a very reasonable fee. Um <laughs> So, yes, I think there's a there's a realization. So Scala is kind of a hybrid language. It offers you, I think it's a great language because you can go in and you can write code that looks like kind of more traditional C or Java style, you know, for loops and if statements and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's the kind of programming language that most people would recognize, right? But then it also has these very powerful functional abstractions that allows you to work in that style instead so it's often seen as kind of like a gateway drug to functional programming you know people come at it from a java background or a python background or a c background and they kind of write their scala code in that way to start with and then what i found certainly over the last three years i've been working with it 
the more you read, the more you kind of get into it, and you go, oh yeah, there's these really powerful tools that we can use that allow us to reason about our code much more effectively. Because one of the most important things as a programmer is being able to hold in your head everything that your program is doing. And I don't know about you, but I'm the greatest programmers are often fundamentally quite lazy and possibly a little bit stupid because we don't like having to hold 97 things in our head at once. You can't do it. It requires so much mental effort. So it's so much nicer if you can actually reason about your code on a bit of paper with a pencil and say, well, if this is true, then that must be true. It's kind of like a logic puzzle. And what functional programming allows you to do is to kind of tease those conditions, those statements apart much more readily so that you can think much more clearly about how your program is structured. Nice. I have I have a, a question. Sure. So if you say it like involves all this planning that you have to hold in your head, my head starts to throb at the thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you never decided to go prison break style and tattoo it all on your body? You know, like a little uh, map and a plan? Because I, I could do... feel that being really useful. So I'm actually really old fashioned. I work a lot with pencil and paper. I draw stuff out and I like make little diagrams and stuff. And, you know, doodle in the margins and all the rest of it. Um, because I, you know, I like to be able to see what my code is going to look like. And it's all, you know, boxes and arrows and stuff. Um, and once you've done that bit, actually then turning it into code is quite easy because it's largely typing. Um, you know, only actually, I would say probably about 20% of the job is actually typing. The other 80% <laughs> is reading documentation, thinking about it, you know, making endless cups of tea and staring out the window and thinking, <laughs> I could do it like this or I could do it like that. Which one's better? Hmm, I don't really know. Oh, well. So there's a certain amount of creativity then of thinking. Absolutely, of absolutely. What can I do? How does it all fit together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, as with a lot of professions, I think there's a real, not misunderstanding, but there's a what's what frustrated me often about working in larger companies was that there's very much this attitude that programmers are a resource that we're all kind of interchangeable that it's a bit like a production line it's like well if you need someone else to bolt doors on a car that's you know that's something that you can teach most people relatively quickly if you need somebody to write new components for your website oh you just hire another programmer but not all programmers are created equal. I like to use the analogy that it's much more like something like carpentry. Yes, clearly there is technical skill. You have to know. I'm I'm going to talk complete nonsense because I know nothing about carpentry, but I'm assuming that one would need well, to know. I <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this interpretation. <laughs> that one would need to know about the different types of wood and the different grains and the different qualities. And like, why would you use this wood? Why would you use this kind of joint? Why would you yeah. use this kind of, you know, screw or whatever? Um that's about the limit of my technical knowledge, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> I mean, all words the, that I recognise <laughs> to do with furniture. There we go. Um, <laughs> but programming is kind of the same. Clearly, there's no one right way to do anything. So it's largely, a, yeah, like you say, like a creative process, um, deciding what you think the right way, in inverted commas, to do something is. Um, I mean, one thing I've gotten involved with recently, um, I don't know if now's a good time to segue into this. Is this the Scarlet Bridge stuff? This because is Scarlet Bridge. Because I was like, oh, well. Hey, bridge. <laughs> <laughs> a nice little bridge to connect us to, to Scarlet Bridge. Excellent point. Bridge. Yeah. Well done. Uh, what a wonderful segue. Normally, they're just really awkward when I do them, but this one involved singing. Shall I segue? Yes. <laughs> yes, you shall. Um, tell us about oh, it. Oh, tell actually. us. What is, what is your segue? What is Scarlet Bridge? So... 
Scala Bridge is part of a larger movement. Uh, there's a, an organization called the Bridge Foundry. Ooh. Uh, who what, make bridges? No, actually. Metaphorical bridges. But metaphorical bridges. So to bridge uh, between different communities, uh. particularly around tech and particularly around programming. Um, you know, we, we have a representation problem. I think yes. in tech, you know, tech is, let's be honest, particularly men. programming men. is very, you know, heteronormative men, you know, certain stereotypes that we might not wish to repeat here because they're not terribly helpful. Um, so how do we get more women? How do we get more queer people? How do we get more, you know, non-white yep. people involved in programming in this country um, and indeed across the world? And so the Bridge Foundry was set up to offer training uh, support, mentorship, you know, networking to people. And it's a very broad umbrella. It basically says anyone who feels that they are underrepresented in the tech community, whatever that might be. We're not, you know, we're not going to turn anyone away, clearly, because we want to help everyone. But obviously, our goal is to help people who maybe feel that they wouldn't or couldn't follow the sort of traditional routes into programming. Um, so we've run, uh, over the last three months, we ran a series of courses. Uh, I think we had six or seven evening sessions and we had people who were, you know, had never done any programming before. Um, you know, we have one person who came in who was a fashion designer. We had somebody else who worked in marketing coming in, um, other people who'd maybe worked in other programming languages, you know, Python or JavaScript, but who wanted to kind of learn a completely different language. And we sort of, you know, divided them up into groups and we mentored them introduce them to the Scala programming language, uh, introduce them to some of the concepts, get them writing a bit of code, you know, get them drawing some stuff, you know, drawing some shapes on screen and patterns and stuff, um, and trying to sort of help them understand why Scala, you know, why I think and why we think Scala is a great language to learn. Um, so, the, the, sorry, the, so the people who come uh, to this, what, what is their... Um, what are their their goals like? What's their reasoning for taking part? All different yeah, people. I so I was working with uh, two ladies, um, one of whom had been a sort of project manager working in a sort of tech environment. So she wasn't a programmer herself, but she <laughs> obviously worked day to day with people who were. Um, That's sort of like my role. And I work in a tech company that has, you know, a huge amount of pe the tech team is right, right, yeah. two thirds of the company. Sure. But I don't know how to code. But if you wanted to make the move over to mm. that side or even just to get a better understanding of the kind of language because you know i mean like all sciences well like any community you know tech programming has its its little lingo it has sort of you know it's sort of secret codes and what of have course, you and it's yeah. useful to be able to understand those so that you can have a conversation with those people what do um, people go on to do after this course finishes well this was the first l sort of long form course that we'd run previously scala bridge had run just one off events one of you know one evening's workshop or one day but that's not kind of enough time to get people really thinking about it seriously yeah, it's more like a taster whereas this was more if you finish the course and actually as i say one of the ladies i was working with is still working on her project in her own time she's hoping to get a job somewhere like an entry-level position and she can now go to them and say i've done this six-week course here is a sample of some of the code that i've written which she wouldn't have had if she'd had to, you know, kind of do that cold. She's she's now got something that she can show them. Um, and, you know, also the kind of networking aspect. Obviously, there are people there who are very well connected in the tech industry in London and across the country who can say, oh, I know that this company is looking, you know, the BBC, for instance, just announced an initiative to get more women into coding and they're offering 
Uh, I should have looked up the details before we came on. Um, but there is a... That's the magic of editing. But, you know, I can always just jump in right here yeah, and yeah. pretend like we said <laughs> it right now. Yeah, yeah. There's a pause and then you just go... <laughs> in a completely different <laughs> if voice. If you'd like to. Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley found the statistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the BBC is running this initiative to offer... And I think it's a kind of scholarship type trainee situation. Um, to give free training and development to people with a view to then potentially taking them on as employees. And you don't have to have any qualifications. You don't have to have any. And that's the kind of thing that we would love to support. Yeah. Um, because I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. And I think there's a lot of goodwill. You know, people, companies generally are getting better at, you know, diversity mm-hmm. and being aware of these issues and going, oh, maybe if we all are, you know, cisgendered white straight men, then maybe that's a bad thing. And maybe yeah. we should get different viewpoints involved and that conversation that can be really hard because you have to challenge a lot of the assumptions that your corporate you know your company has um but it's something i'm you know i'm very keen on and i would i'm sadly not currently in the position of hiring because we're still starts up but i am so if you if you do have that sort of like rich uncle sugar daddy money bags lying around, you know, Ashley Ashley I mean, is very open to some. To uh, whoa, some whoa, hang on a minute, hang on, hang on. Where is this going? Where is this going? Uh, Ashley, you said you would do almost anything. Uh, for um, the money. Almost, almost anything, <laughs> within within the bounds of what's legal. Um, yeah, but I know that as and when we come to hire people, I would love to hire someone. In fact, of I'm course, I'm going to yeah. make it a kind of mission to make sure that our first hire certainly on the tech side, is, you know, diversity. And I I came across a great uh, tweet the other day, um, which is that when you think about these things, one great phrase that you can kind of insert into that conversation is, even if we're going to hire someone who is not cisgender, straight white man, even if it takes us more time, even if it costs us more money, even if, because it's so important. And yes, obviously, the majority of your candidates are going to come from those traditional backgrounds issue. but you have to you know you have to take personal responsibility for saying that's great but those guys are going to find other opportunities yeah. elsewhere we have to take the lead and you know i'm very fortunate i'm in the position to be able to say to my group my startup yeah, i i feel sufficiently strongly about this that even if it means it takes 6 months to hire someone instead of 3 months i don't care I think because I want that person. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's obviously really valuable to have people with those thoughts in the workplace. But I do think, whilst there are loads of what you're saying you do with um, Scala Bridge, kind of these things where you're getting people from non-coding backgrounds and getting them into coding, be they women, be they non-white people, be they non-straight people, um, whilst that's all really good, there's still kind of this horrible thing in tech where the, their pools of applicants are still Oxbridge and all these things. And actually, that's a whole other hurdle, which is sufficiently difficult to overcome because they have the boundaries yet again to get into those places. And then further on top of that, to then get into the workplace. And it's a nightmare. It's horrible. I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, we'll come on to talk about the singing stuff in a minute, but the same is, same is certainly true in the arts, mm. that it, you know... There are so many layers of this kind of hidden privilege. Yeah, and, and it comes and it comes. You know, I'm okay. Let's talk about the startup thing. I'm in the very fortunate position that I can afford to work for not very much money for a couple of years because I worked, you know, in the city before that, so I had some savings. So I'm able to to do that, and that's quite an exciting opportunity, and I really yeah. enjoy it. But I know that that 
opportunity isn't available to everyone because not everyone could afford to take a pay cut for two or three years in the hope that in future it will pay better and I'll be able to do other things with it I'll be able to hire all the you know lovely diverse people I want to um so you know it's very much about using the privilege I have and the sort of power that I have to then say okay what can I do with this how can I raise other people up who wouldn't necessarily be able to do that on their own so in business um while as we said loads of people are trying to well in a, a lot of uh, people, that might be a bit of an over-exaggeration, but there's more, a lot more focus on diversity and inclusion um, in these sectors. But one thing that I think isn't, uh, or is only now starting to be talked about more, is the whole idea of these less visible barriers relating to income inequality, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. From your experience, you say working in the city, which I, I love that phrase, by the way. <laughs> it makes you sound like, oh, such a mysterious metropolitan. I know. <laughs> Metrosexual. Um, but do you think that's something that is um, recognized that much by uh, the more corporate side of things? The whole idea that, you know, uh, while people may have the skills or the ambition, there is this sort of financial socioeconomic uh, barrier that prevents them getting involved. That's a really good question. Mm, really good. Um, obviously, I can't. <clears throat> I can't answer across the board. Why not? Um, <laughs> because I would uh, very much appreciate a grand generalization here. Yeah, yeah. I will be applying it to everyone we That's meet. That's what you. we like to do: is to <laughs> put everyone in the same bucket because we're all identical. Um, and so I think green is people. Um, <laughs> I think there there are different different degrees at different companies. Um, you know, my experience is that some companies are actually genuinely committed to this and are putting resources into it. I think for other companies, it's very much, uh, you know, it's a bit like the pride thing. It's like, oh, yay, we changed our Twitter logo mm, to have a rainbow yeah, flag on it. You. Well what done. Else? But have you actually donated any money? Have you provided resources to, you know, are you supporting your queer employees? Are you making yeah. sure that you actively fight discrimination and sexual harassment and all the other things that... You our know, friend Keris has put together a phenomenally long spreadsheet on companies who have put some sort of pride branding up and then their pros and cons as a company. It's it's honestly it's, like... I was just like, this is longer than I imagined. It's it, really it is, good. It's called it Pride and Packaging and it is a phenomenal um, project fueled by yeah. queer rage. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So if I, I, if I remember, this is a note to um, edit post-edit Mac. Um, include a link to uh, Keris's project, uh, previous Queer Note of Honor, by the way, um, to Pride and Packaging in the description because you should all check that out. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. like you say, there's, there's there is still varying levels of commitment yeah. even to yeah, yeah. That. And I think what will perhaps what will need to change is that, the, and it's that awful thing of we shouldn't have to fight for it, but we of kind course. of do. And until enough queer people are in those positions of power where they can say that you know as I say at my startup I'm very lucky because I'm one of nine people and because I am the only programmer so I get to call the shots I get to say when we hire our first programmer as an employee I want it to be Mm. someone from a different background Um, but you're right it's what goes on it's the kind of classic get more people that aren't straight white men into boardrooms because it's it's the positions of power that needs to flip before the rest can was i had this argument at length uh, a couple of months ago about uh female mps Mm -hmm. in the houses parliament and the fact that you know the numbers historically have always been abysmally low they're still you know it's still not quite 50 50 and when you start to increase representation you you look at 
Parliament on the TV now or you listen to it on the radio and you have some amazing you know female um, representatives who are there who are arguing and though they're very visible and so you know young women growing up now go oh actually that is a place that I can go to that is a place that is a viable career option who maybe would have been turned off before and I think the same has to happen in tech the same has to happen in STEM generally is yeah, we need more we need more visibility out yeah. there because um, if you can't see it you can't be it exactly because exactly. you, you, you I don't just even know where that. I heard that from I feel that, that that's a quote that I should attribute to somebody important but <laughs> it sounds like a Disney put song it in quotation marks. <laughs> if not it, it should like be oh I don't think Disney really uh, <laughs> oh well I mean let's kind that. of just gloss over the whole uh, Jack Whitehall thing yeah and oh well, of course oh my I forgot God. was that Disney that was Disney yeah so and don't even get me started. And then there was the whole when they did the Beauty and the Beast remake, and they're like, "We have an official gay character." It's like, I'm sorry, it's a slightly campy reference in like one line of a song that got what is it? Uh, one country in Ind- uh, not Indonesia. Indonesia is a country. Like one country in um, Southeast Asia to ban that scene. Oh. Disney's Disney's another kettle of fish but so i don't think the quote is attributed to them and i won't let it be attributed to them no. at the same time i feel like a certain ownership over beauty and the beast just because i share my name with a lead character ah uh, yeah we we do attribute uh the so just, outcomes yeah. of that directly to you then what yeah, exactly yeah. so if in if in need i'll i'll take the quote yeah, you... if anyone's got beef with beauty and the beast please write directly to bell c mm-hmm. taylor on twitter yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you are you also annoyingly perfect and nice in real life That's um am i <laughs> But I did, growing up, I really wanted to be Hermione. And then when Hermione got to be Beauty and the Beast, I was like, if I was Hermione, this remake would have happened sooner. Because they'd have been like, she's she's called Belle already. This is a (laughs) (laughs) shoo-in. Also, I feel um, that if Hermione's character, the character of Hermione, not necessarily Emma Mm -hmm. Watson, was going to be doing that remake... It would have been a lot better because, honey, she's just like living that Stockholm syndrome fantasy, no. and she's just like, like, "You captured me and imprisoned me and uh, emotionally manipulated me, but I love you and I see the good in you and I can change you." Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's not a story which you just be like, "Remember this, moral kids." Yeah. Also, the the, the talking furniture in that live animated version is creepier than I was expecting. I just like films with songs in. Really, Mulan, right? I don't know about you, but that's my favorite Disney film. Actually, what is your favorite Disney films? Oh gosh, Ooh. Disney specifically? I'd say. Yeah, we're thinking like the the, the era of probably our uh-huh. collective childhood here. You know, the Disney cartoons. Because mine was Mulan because it's like nowadays we realize it was the queerest Disney film without yeah, yeah. Disney even realizing it was. Queer. Oh, I have to preface this by saying I've not actually seen as many Disney films as I should. And I only watched The Lion King for the first time last year when my friend made me. Okay, that's unacceptable. Literally get out. (laughs) (laughs) Belle leaves the studio. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Belle literally just... (laughs) Um, I think my favourite would be of kind of peak Disney growing up, Jungle Book. Oh, yeah. And great songs. And great songs. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's probably between Lion King and Aladdin. I've I've never seen Aladdin either. So I also, if you're gonna like bring me Twitter beef with Disney, also send me the Disney. Yeah, yeah. That would be great. But can, but can I just say, I mean, Disney obviously amazing, but then you know, Studio Ghibli and mm-hmm. basically any other. Less anime, about so. the songs though. Mm-hmm. Less about better the songs. animation. Mm-hmm. Although different, I don't know, Ponyo, Ponyo is a catchy tune. What's the tune going like again? 
singer, singer. You're a singer. Such a funny little fish. I can't remember the words, and I'm not even going to attempt to sing it in such Japanese. Such a funny little fish. No, oh, no, I think I think those are actually That's the words great. in the English translation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember Ponyo. That, that, that's that's great. I went, I went to see great. Ponyo in the cinema, and it was like a random Wednesday afternoon. It was me and my ex-boyfriend. Uh, obviously, it was we were together at the time. And <laughs> I mean, if not, only- it must just like. Hey, so we've not seen each other in years, but uh, would you would you like to go see Ponyo? Would you like to go and see this animated uh, feature length film about a fish. talking fish, fish in a bucket? Uh, it's a great film. <laughs> it's a great film. Um, but yes, the only other people in the cinema were clearly very bored parents and their hyperactive children who were kept kind of looking at us like, "What are these? What are Why these are they doing? here Why at are a matinee? Here? Yeah, you don't have any children with you. What's what's wrong with you? They live for the wholesome content, you know. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. get over it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, Another thing about the Disney films, which uh, is kind of going to provide a nice segue into your singing, is that um, it's made me real mad that I've heard that the live action version they're making of Mulan does not contain the songs. It's not a musical. What? And I am that's mad. It is. There's a live remake of Aladdin that's just come out. Was coming out? Has it come it's, out yet? I thought it was on its way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I think it is because I know um, I know some uh, friend of mine who um, <laughs> is. <laughs> there we go. I don't. I don't know if they have the songs in it though. Why? Why would you put one of these films out and remove the songs? They're the main thing. Yes, the that catchiness. is the, that is the the core part of it. But also, why would you remake the film anyway? The I don't understand this sort of need to remake things and redo I agree. them. I just. But the live action version of the Jungle Book was genuinely quite good. So I think because it was good, people are like. Can do it again. And they okay. had an again. element of the, again. the songs. They didn't have like the fully fledged like look for the necessity. I don't remember all the words. Forget um, about but... your worries and your strife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to take a short break while Bell uh, copyrights the complete soundtrack to the Jungle Book. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good line about if you look under those rocks and plants and forget about. And take a glance, take at, a the, glance at the fancy, at the fancy ants. Ants. And, maybe and maybe try, try a few. A few. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Ashley, why don't you tell us a bit about how you became a professional singer? Um, because of the opera. I, I, yes, I love the whole blend of when uh, real science techie people do arty stuff as well. <laughs> I just love it. So tell us more about that. So it all happened a bit by accident. Uh, I have always been a singer. I sang in my school choir. Um, I was very lucky. I went to King's College London, which had amazing uh, Gilbert and Sullivan and musical theatre societies. Um, so I got very heavily involved with those. What's I your favourite musical? Favourite musical? Mm. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, too too many to mention. The Top three. Uh, top three. So... Uh, You're glad I'm here. <laughs> I would probably say A Little Night Music by Stephen Sondheim. Uh, there's one called Trouble in Tahiti by Leonard Bernstein. So the same, Leonard Bernstein, the same guy who wrote On the Town and West Side Story. Nice. I know um, that last one. Yeah, yeah. Mm, very good. So he also wrote uh, Trouble in Tahiti, which is a one-act opera. It's only about, a sort of opera musical. It's only about 40, 45 minutes long. Uh, and it's about the day in the life of a married couple as their marriage is breaking down. Oh, wow. And it's got some incredible music. And the chorus is this little jazz trio who sing all this kind of jazz scat in close harmony. And it's it's just amazing. Um, yeah. So things like that, like proper cerebral stuff. I nice. see this is the thing is even with musical theatre, I'm actually quite nerdy. I yeah. like like the really... Well, our friend of- Ian is very into kind of 
Sondheim. 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 And Gilbert and Sullivan. Ah. Very into that. He's excellent. He's clearly a man of excellent taste. And into just, he just loves musicals. And while Belle was sort of uh, listing off those names of musical things, she kept glancing at me as if I would know those things. (laughs) (laughs) But I am here, as I (laughs) always am in literally every episode, I'm here for the education because um, I am am very indoorsy. And my interests are niche, even amongst the niche. So, That's you fun. know, feel free to educate me here. Because actually, I was once, <laughs> uh, my partner, um, what, I wait, after you've been together for quite a while, he was like, you know what? We've never been to the theater together. Why don't we go? Or like, what was your favorite thing you've been to see in the theater? I was like, I've never been to the theater. I got, I got in so much trouble. Wow. And I was told I should have uh, my gay card revoked because uh, apparently I was shameful for never having going just on like a cultural level well they're expensive and they're difficult to get to like the musicals i love are ones that were on films growing up yeah yeah. and i lived in cornwall as well there's not a theater in cornwall or like not a there's a theater there's a theater in truro yeah the hall of cornwall which i've which which i performed in have you yeah yeah. it's currently in it's a long long way from (laughs) anywhere else yeah um but that is that is a good point um as as an immigrant kid who grew up on kansas soup for many years exactly I guess the last thing we were thinking about is um, going to the theatre. Yeah, you'd get a, a video or a VHS recording or something, and it's a, you know a musical film you can watch fifty times, and that's great. But Are it you doesn't ki- cost you more money than that once. Absolutely, it was go to the the blockbuster yeah. or equivalent <laughs> when we would still get VHS tapes. Yes. Um, the the first musical I was introduced to, um, which and I don't know if you'd even class it as musical, was the one my little brother picked out, and it was a Bind the Dinosaur movie, and <laughs> we had it. I swear to God, we renewed it for three weeks, and he watched it every single day of our summer holidays. Oh, yeah. Gosh, if, sometimes, sometimes I dream, brain. and it comes. Is that that one that's like, is that, is that where you're loved? That one. <laughs> the only amazing. Yes. They say that word, but I don't is, remember. Is that where that. your love of purple comes from? It's just been kind of indoctrinated just, into oh you. God. Channeling you're Barney to, the Dinosaur. You're trying to turn yourself into Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> oh, my God. You, I'm, oh, that is such a realisation. <laughs> oh, dear. Have we just opened up a whole can of worms? <laughs> yeah. Though? For those who don't haven't seen pictures of me, um, how dare you? I post a lot of pictures of myself in certain places. But I have a purple hair, and it's like my long-standing physical feature. Mm. It's pretty Barney chic. <laughs> maybe you're right. Oh my god! I need to go do some soul searching. There we go. <laughs> that can be, uh, where did we get to? Oh yes, yeah, so I was at university and being involved with all the theatre. I think I probably spent more time in the theatre. Kings are very fortunate; they have a purpose-built auditorium, lovely, uh, over on the guys' campus in London Bridge. And I probably spent more time working on shows and doing stuff there than I actually did on my degrees. So. Um, I think I counted. I think I did. Uh, well, I, I did a bachelor's, <laughs> and then I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do in life. So I thought, I know, I'll sign up to do a master's because they'll mm, pay me to, to spay and uh, pay me to spay. They'll... <laughs> <laughs> and now again. we take a turn into veterinary science. Yeah, yeah. How uh, many cats have you spayed? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, let's, let's, let's rather than spayed, I presumably. Uh, yes. So <laughs> I got to the end of my bachelor's, didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Thought, oh there's this opportunity to do a master's which was funded so I get to stay for another year and they'll pay me to do it so I did that um and it was great because it was a research-based master's so I was effectively just sat in my lab typing away at the computer um I was I never did actual experiments basically anything that I touched 
would just break. I mean, I I spent three years of my undergrad doing labs every Friday. I mean, my lab partner, I don't think we successfully completed a single experiment oh, no. in three years. We would always get to about lunchtime and the, you know, I would, I would so much as look at an oscilloscope and it would just break. <laughs> and then the, the lab supervisors would come over and they'd be like, oh, we tested that just before the start of the session. So I don't know what's gone wrong. I have to get another. It just, it was a disaster, in total first... disaster. But that's where I discovered my love of programming because clearly yeah. I was fine with the computers. In um, my first chemistry lab experiment, I undergraduate. Um, so first year we were paired up in the first kind of set of labs at the term just to kind of ensure that you don't like properly fuck it up. Um, and me and my partner turned our Bunsen burner on and the flame wasn't coming out and we were like, or it was, but we we were like, can you smell something? And not only was the Bunsen burner working, just the entire tubing was on fire. (laughs) 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 We were like, oh. And that's that's where you developed your love of flame. Well, there we go. From that moment on, Belle was just like, fire is my thing. I might not be able to make things, but I can burn them. (laughs) <laughs> relationship <laughs> <laughs> wow i kid i kid yeah um yes yeah, so came out of university was still being involved in sort of amateur dramatics and stuff in my spare time singing in a, a choir um had a couple of singing lessons and was sort of I'd, I'd never really sort of thought about it certainly as a career or anything as kind of you know i'm i want to go and be an opera singer um but my boyfriend at the time was sort of encouraging me. He said, oh, you know, you should audition for music college. Oh, you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't for me. But I kind of wanted to just learn more about singing yeah. and more about music and more about the art. And he was the one who kind of said, look, just put in your application for the auditions. doesn't matter. Go and do the auditions. See what happens. Fortunately, one of the courses uh, at what is now the Trinity Laban Conservatoire down in Greenwich, what was Trinity College of Music, it's just a general purpose master's. Trinity offered me a place and I was very fortunate because my job at the time, um, I you know, initially said, oh, I might have to quit my job because I've got this place on this course. And they said, well, would you consider going part-time? So I was able to work part-time and study oh, part-time, which was amazing. Um, spent many, many hours on the DLR shuttling back and forth between Greenwich and the city, which was fantastic. Um, because I like pretending I'm driving the train because you get to sit at the front of the DLR. <laughs> That's all the DLR's yeah, good yeah. for. Yeah, it's basically what you do. Um, and yeah, had some amazing experiences there, met some amazing people, uh, worked on some amazing shows and some amazing music. Even at the end of those two years, was still not kind of thinking, oh, you know, I want to be an opera mm. singer, I want this to be a career. How? Why opera? Like, Because um, I mean, presumably you were just doing voice. There are... so. There are different, uh, I guess, approaches um, for classical singing as opposed mm. to, you know, pop singing or musical theatre, which obviously are different styles. Uh, but for classical singing, there are different kinds of work you can do. Um, you can do recital work, which is like you and a piano in concert singing, you know, art songs or singing excerpts of things. Um, there's kind of choral work, which is typically working with professional choirs, um, you know, the big groups would be people like the Monteverdi's, the Sixteen, the BBC Singers. Um, or there's opera. And time was that those three were quite sort of clearly divided and that you either did one or the other or the other. People these days are expected to be a lot more flexible. And as I say, I'd had, I came from a choral background, um, singing in my school choir and church choir and things, but then had had a lot of stage experience at university. And, you know, for me, there's nothing like the feeling of being on stage. 
because you get to tell stories, you get to you know sing this amazing music. Um, you know the the communication that you have with an audience on a good day can be the most amazing thing. I mean, I've been very lucky to have experienced all sorts of different projects. You know, from kind of grand opera. You know, I was very lucky a couple of years ago to work at the Salzburg Festival in Austria, which is this huge kind of very high end. Everyone's in black tie and pretty frocks kind of opera. All the way, you know, at the other end of the scale doing education work, taking opera into schools. And it was interesting what you say earlier about, you know, maybe feeling that theatre wasn't accessible. There's a huge amount these days of work to get kids involved in theatre and music, taking stuff into schools. You know, we did shows, we, I did one show about Laika the Space Dog, who was, Laika was the first, uh, cool. the first dog That's in space. That's my dog's name. Uh, really? That's what she's Amazing. named after. Amazing. So we That's did, so nice. She shouldn't go into space. She's she should not go into space, <laughs> mostly because Laika died in space, but we don't tell that to the No, I, I don't tell my Laika that. Yeah, either. yeah. There was always this very... Laika, like you're, you're named after? She dead. <laughs> we, we always took questions at the end of the show, and the kids, you know, the one of the questions they always asked was, what happened to Laika? And you kind of don't want to say, um, she probably like burned up or died of radiation poisoning because they didn't, they hadn't figured out like the whole re-entry thing. Bebka, who was the next dog who went up, was successfully brought back to Earth. Um, but yeah, and, and seeing the reaction sometimes that the kids have when they're sat, you know, four feet away from you. And the fact that they will maintain, you know, they'll sit and maintain concentration because if you keep them interested and if you treat them like adults and you tell them these stories... It's just, it's the best reaction to get. So that's that's the kind of thing I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. The, there is something special about opera or theatre generally. Well, you had an experience with opera. Oh, I was, about, Didn't you? To, I was about to say, I've got a funny little story. My mum's cousin is an opera singer. Um, and when I was about five, we were at this family gathering um, and it was her mum's birthday. So she was doing a performance. She was straight out of music college. So she was doing an opera performance for everyone. And I was, everyone was, you know, seated round on chairs and she was at the front and I was tiny and I would just stood in the middle of like the dance floor, holding a packet of crisps, just eating, staring at her while she performed. <laughs> and Menacingly. Then she, and then she finished and before anyone could clap, I just went, well, that's a funny noise. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is a funny noise. I won't lie. It's a slightly artificial way of singing. Um, although there's all sorts of theory about why opera singers sing the way that they do there's you know people who theorize that it is something actually quite primal because it goes back to the sorts of noises that we would have made when we were apes running around in the forest because you're learning to project your voice using Mm. the resonant cavities in your head and the bones yes howler monkey opera so (laughs) i'm here for that this is yeah this is why we need planet of the apes the opera yeah yeah. do make sort of like howly opera noises but if you think about animals in the forest those noises carry for a long long way and that's essentially what you're doing with opera except it's you know Projecting it's basically organized you, you heard it here folks opera is organized shouting which is basically <laughs> a professionalized howler monkey singing yeah yeah that's basically all it is it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both it's been fun. today um Belle Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, <laughs> if uh, the lovely listeners decide, hey, Belle's the greatest, I want to invite her to come and stare menacingly at me while I do my mm-hmm. profession. Uh, where can they come <laughs> and find you? <laughs> um, I have a Twitter account. I don't go on it very often, which is Belle LC Taylor. Um, but I also have a website, which is belletaylor.com. Wonderful. Weirdly cheap. 
<laughs> not me, the website. <laughs> no, this is not a plug for Squarespace. <laughs> Ashley, um, thank you again for joining us. It's been my thank pleasure. You. And um, sharing your wonderful thoughts. Tell us, where, where can people find out about Scala Bridge? So Scala Bridge has uh, multiple Twitter feeds. Uh, there's one specifically, which is Scala Bridge London. Uh, that's the group that I'm involved in. There's also a more generic Scala Bridge Twitter account, which is for the sort of global community because they run events, you know, different groups run events in San Francisco and New York and wherever it might be. Um, so Scala Bridge London. Uh, but also if you're interested in other programming languages, this is not just limited to Scala. The, the organization is called Bridge Foundry. They run courses in Go, in Python, in JavaScript, Ruby, all different programming languages. So if you have a particular interest, um, please do get involved. And if you're interested in running courses as well we'd love to hear from you because this is how the community grows this is how the community you know develops and gets more amazing people involved in tech who you know we can bring in that's so wonderful and what what if people want to hear you sing do you uh, do you like post your gigs anywhere i so i do have a website which is ashleymercer.co.uk do uh, you have clips i don't at the moment <laughs> because i out. had some very old clips uh which were me about four or five years ago so i'm actually just about to record some new ones um so hopefully i'll be up in the next few weeks and i'm also on twitter at ashley e mercer because somebody already got an ashley mercer Ooh, how dare they good. well we'll put all that info down in the description i'll get it to amazing you. You, uh, get you to send me that later and post edit matt please note you need to put a lot of stuff in <laughs> the description <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you both for coming on this uh lovely little podcast thank you. on uh, this lovely day um I've been your host, Matt J. Young. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matt J-Y. That's J-A-Y-W-H-Y, as in like how you would say it out loud. No reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't forget to uh, please follow the podcast on social meets at QWERTYPOD on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I forget to go on the, the Instagram and the Facebook very often, but I'm on the Twitter loads. And if you've enjoyed yourself, we'd really, really, really love it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast app of choice, because it's going to help us spread that good gay agenda. And, you know, that, that that's what we're all about. Yep. Spread the gay agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't, I, as I've started saying at the end of every episode, we don't have a good outro. So at this point, I'll say thank you for listening and we'll all just say bye. 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 <laughs>